Davis steps under center. Gibson and McClendon behind it. Davis with motion by Richard. Will get the ball to McClendon. He leaps. Oh, he doesn't get in. He fumbled the football. Carolina holds. The game is over. And Carolina has won the game. Finley to throw. Over the middle. Intercepted. Wolfuck again. Wolfuck the other way. At the 30. The 40. Wolfuck to midfield. Miles Wolfuck with the pick. The heels on the doorstep of an enormous victory. Left side of the line. Hood standing to Williams' is right. Williams going to throw. One-on-one. Davis has it. Touchdown. Carolina wins. Carolina is the Coastal Division champion. Bernard fields it at the 26. Heading to the far side. Gio at the 35. Gio, he's at the 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is. Gio, he's going to take it for a touchdown. Are you kidding me? Connor Barth for the possible win. Snap. Spot. Kick away. High enough. Long enough. Hey guys, and welcome to another edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. It's your host, Anthony Pagnotta, with you guys as always. And today, it is time to recap another Tar Heel win. This one, Carolina's fifth out of six so far this season. This one coming over ACC Coastal rival Miami as the Tar Heels pick up their fourth consecutive win against the Hurricanes And now sit in the driver's seat of the ACC Coastal. We're going to talk more about that. We'll also talk a little bit more in depth about this game for the Tar Heels and what this one ultimately means. And uh, there's plenty of other stuff that we'll be talking about here on this edition of the podcast. A couple of big-time injury updates as well uh, for Carolina. But the first thing that I did want to mention about this one is Carolina... This is their third win so far this year where they have won it by uh one score and all four of those game or all three of those games excuse me have come on the road. We talk so much heading into the season about how bad this team had struggled on the road the last year, really two years, to be honest with you, even going back to the COVID season. I'm not saying that they've ironed everything out, but it sure seems like this is a team that has prided itself on getting the job done on the road. And this one, the other two, look, you went on the road to App State. That was a team that at the time we thought was a good a really good quality opponent. That team just lost to Texas State. Georgia State, at the time you won that game, you thought that was a quality opponent as well. That team started out the season 0-4. So this one, I think, not the greatest Miami team. Maybe not exactly what we thought this Miami team was going to be, but this is a big one for Carolina, no doubt about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the the biggest thing is that this team is finding – they're finding ways to win, and I think the best thing that happened to them on Saturday was they won a game that if they want to, if they want to be the type of team we want them to be, they they had to prove to second win games without having to score forty. 
that's our biggest that was our biggest thing all year was wondering well can can we win games without winning shootouts and they did that on Saturday I also think it was good for Drake May to to have some adversity to throw those interceptions in the moment yeah we was frustrating and you you get upset but it was going to happen at some point mm-hmm. you'd rather it happen now and the way he bounced back and the way he didn't lose confidence in himself was really important so um, and then the best thing about it is that uh, when when they when they go back and look at the film, they left so many plays out there to be made, and that and, and that's really good when it, when it's winning tape where you won the game and you still left so much out there for them to still clean up and get corrected. I do think this staff has done a much better job since that Notre Dame debacle at making adjustments in the game and adjusting from week to week and playing more to their strengths, and that was needed. Um, because after the Notre Dame loss, I think it was even at three and one, it was right. We were right to be concerned about the the the, the direction mm-hmm. and the and the future of this program. And now after back to back wins, and as bad as the coastal is, you're look you're you're looking pretty. So, um, but nonetheless, four straight wins over Miami, that still means something for a program like Carolina. You did it about you did it on the road. It was it was a fun Saturday afternoon for the for the Tar Heels in uh, in South Beach. I mean, two very similar teams. I mean, you talked about you know we we talked about in the preseason how much talent was on Carolina, how much talent was on that Miami team that was held over and under new coach Mario Cristobal, and uh, we referenced it. We've referenced it a few times here on this show. The twenty four seven Sports overall talent rankings that are on the current roster: Carolina sixteenth, Miami thirteenth. So that's that's a, that, that's a roster that is extremely talented as well and you know hasn't really been living up to the billing. Carolina's been dealing with a lot of the same things. But boy, they stepped up in this game and Carolina ultimately their talent won out. Let's take a look at the box score presented by DraftKings. Head over to DraftKings.com. Use the promo code TPPN. When you head over there, the Tar Heels, 470 yards of total offense, 309 yards passing, 161 yards on the ground. Carolina did struggle a little bit with discipline. We talked about that being important coming into the game. Eight penalties for 61 yards, but ultimately it does not come back to hurt Carolina. Uh, Carolina 7 of 14 on third down, continuing to be extremely efficient on third down. One of the best offensive third down teams in the entire country. Uh, Remained aggressive as well. We'll talk a little bit about that. As well, moving forward, that'll be one of the really only negatives that we will focus on too much from this game. Carolina, two of three on fourth down, 6.6 yards per play. Um, and Carolina did a tremendous job once again. They only allowed, um, they, they did allow five sacks in the game, so did struggle a little bit in that area. Nine tackles for loss against a Miami defensive front that uh, was not extremely stout, um, but they, they still found a way uh, to protect them when it mattered the most. Two turnovers aside um, as well, and... Uh, when you look at Miami, 537 yards of total offense, 496 yards, 41 of those on the ground. Uh, you have uh, three penalties for 28 yards. They were just five of 14 on third down. 
Three of six on fourth down. Really, that was the difference in the game, was these two teams' success on third and fourth down. They did average 6.7 yards per play. Carolina with two sacks in the game, five tackles for loss. So Miami did a solid job of protecting uh, their quarterback, Tyler Van Dyke. But the Tar Heels really did get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, probably the most that they've gotten throughout the year. In terms of the individual statistics, Drake May, 19 of 28, 309 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Caleb Hood led the Tar Heels in rushing 13 carries, 74 yards. It's the first time in two games that Carolina has had a running back lead them. The guy who did lead them in the previous two games in rushing, Drake May, 14 carries, 53 yards, no touchdowns. But Amarian Hampton did find the end zone again, 15 carries, 36 yards, and a touchdown in this one. Josh Downs, the leading receiver in terms of receptions in this one, targeted nine times, six of them caught for 69 yards and a touchdown. Caleb Hood caught five passes out of the backfield for 50 yards. Leading receiver was J.J. Jones, two catches, 80 yards and a touchdown, 74 of those on that opening drive touchdown that he had down the field. Antoine Green, two catches, 63 yards on two targets. Kamari Morales, two catches for 21 yards. Bryson Nesbitt, one for 22. Uh, So a relatively quiet day from the tight ends, but good to see that Carolina's receivers and their running backs were able to pick them up in this one. You go over to the defensive side of the ball for the Tar Heels. Big day for the combination of both Power Eccles and Cedric Gray, the only two guys that had more than five tackles on the team. And they combined for 27. You had 14 for uh, Power Eccles. You had 13 for Cedric Gray. Um, And just two guys that are playing outstanding football right now. 12 of the 14 for Power Eccles were solo tackles. Cedric Gray, nine of those tackles uh, were solos. Also, good day from DeAndre Boykins. He, of course, had the late interception as well. Four total tackles for him, all solos, and did add a sack. Um, So a really good overall day for him. Tony Grimes also uh, with a solid performance to back up what he did uh, a week ago against Virginia Tech. Uh, He had uh, one pass breakup in the game and was really solid in coverage throughout. Noah Taylor, uh, the other guy that had a sack for Carolina, also had one and a half tackles for loss in this one. You go over to the Miami side of things. Tyler Van Dyke, 42 of 57, 496 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Henry Paris Jr. led them in rushing, but only 11 carries for 19 yards, less than two yards per carry. Jalen Knighton, three carries, 12 yards, uh, did have the key fumble as well that Carolina did recover when it looked like uh, Miami did have a first down on one of their fourth down attempts. Uh, Thaddeus Franklin Jr., just three carries on the day for eight yards, and Carolina did a good job against Tyler Van Dyke, six carries for two yards. Receiving-wise, Tariel's torn up by a tight end once again. Will Mallory leads them in receiving eight catches, 115 yards on 10 targets. Frank Ladson, eight catches for 67 yards in this one. Henry Paris Jr. out of the backfield, seven catches, 46 yards, and a touchdown. Brashad Smith, five catches for 59 yards. And Michael Redding, four catches for 50 yards. Remember that Miami did come into this game without a single receiver over 200 yards on the entire season season, Will Mallory uh, nearly equaled his season total in receiving yards in this game 
alone. Defensive side of the ball for Miami. Uh, Corey Flagg Jr. tied for the lead in total tackles with Daryl Jackson on the defensive line. Both of those guys, seven total tackles, uh, one sack for uh, Jackson, a uh, tackle for loss as well. Corey Flagg, three tackles for loss. He had a big day for them. And then on the back end of the defense for Miami, Cameron Kitchens also with a strong day. Six total tackles for him and did pull down one of the two interceptions for Miami. So that is the look at the box score again presented by DraftKings. We'll hear a little bit more from them coming up later. But let's dive into Carolina. And I think the thing that we probably took away the most from this game was the performance of the defense. And look, was this a perfect performance for this defense? Not even close. Um, This game, I think, reminded a lot of people of the Virginia game last year. Carolina was great stopping the run. Um, Just 41 yards allowed to Miami. That's the fewest since they allowed 24 last year to Virginia. Now, this is the difference, though. This Miami running game was much better than the one that they faced in Virginia a year ago. Virginia, we knew coming into that game, was not a good running team. Miami was one of the better running teams in the ACC. Carolina did a really good job, I thought, throughout the day of being able to slow down that run game. And to me, that started up front. We have not given these defensive linemen a lot of credit this year. Frankly, they have not deserved a lot of credit for the way that they have played this year. But I thought this group did a really, really good job on Saturday against the Miami team that we knew was going to be physical. It's a team that isn't the most technically sound. But look, Carolina's faced struggling offensive lines before, even earlier this season, and they did not look the way that they did on Saturday in this game. Yeah, no, I think this was a a bounce-back game for that defensive line, and, and they needed to bounce back. Um, because if, if this defense is going to be the best version of itself, they got to get pressure with four, and they got to do a much better job getting off blocks, making plays in the run game. And I think, I think that's, I think that started to happen in the Virginia Tech game. We wondered was that going to carry over the next week into the Miami game, and I think it did. And, and so I, I think you know you saw what this defense is 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 going to be under Gene Chizik. They want to be a defense that gives up yards, not points, and they gave up their fair share of yards while not giving up a whole lot of points. I thought when they had to make plays in the run game, they made plays in the run game. And I thought for the most part they did a good job getting the quarterback off their spots and everything. It was more of the back and holding up their end of the bargain. And that's why uh Van Dyke was able to to bounce back and and have the game he, he had. So it's one of those things where, you know, it, it it was an example of the defense as a whole, the numbers you're going to live with. Mm-hmm. But what's kind of been the issue since Mac Brown came back was there was still some level of inconsistency on a unit. And so on a day where your 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 front four plays really great, your or plays really good, your linebacker machines, your secondary is a rough day. But you know, it at least there's signs to where. You could start to believe at some point though all all three units will play well in the same game, which after the Notre Dame game, I don't think it was a possibility. Well, I think here's the other big thing is a lot of people have been pointing this out, and I think it's definitely a fair point. This does not seem like a team that has played a ton of press man so far this year. They did a lot of that under Jay Bateman and 
I mean, you know, the results kind of ebbed and flowed. You had moments where teams were able to sort of tear him up. But I think that you've seen this secondary get picked apart a lot more consistently this year than you did in years past. Do you think that the scheme is really the biggest issue for this secondary group right now? Or do you think it's that the guys are just not playing? Because we have seen a lot more zone so far this year. There's no doubt about that. Nah, I think it's because they can't cover one-on-one. That's what I think it is. So why why press them man-to-man when they can't cover? When they get beat off the line of scrimmage, put them in a zone. The problem has been that the communication from the safeties hasn't been what it's supposed to be. Well, they're so just, when they're I, passing off on coverage, they're, give, they're leaving dudes wide open. i got to tell you, I just don't think they're good enough to play zone defense. These guys do not have the closing speed. They do not know how to break on the football. And, I, I mean, I'm going to be honest. Again, it was a huge issue on Saturday. These safeties take some of the worst angles that I have ever seen a football player take in my life. Yep. I mean, look, man, there, there have been times – I know that Cameron Kelly throughout his career has done some good things as a run defender. But even this year, that element of his game is not there. And you saw it again on Saturday. That's the most frustrating part to me is, look, if you are going to run a zone-heavy scheme, which I kind of disagree with you, I think – especially Tony Grimes. Tony Grimes is, is a better man cover corner than he is than he is a zone cover corner. He did not do it at the high school level. And he, I, from what I've seen, I mean, we saw it a lot last week. They manned him up, and they did it again in this game. And I thought, you know, outside of the long pet touchdown pass to Colby Young, which I thought he was in pretty good position. I thought Tyler Van, Tyler Van Dyke, I almost called him Tyler Van Dimes, but he ain't playing like that except against us. Um, he just threw a good pass on that one, no doubt. But I think the biggest issue that this team has right now is that if you are going to play zone coverage, you have to tackle after guys catch the football. And they are not doing that. They didn't do it again the other day. Um, they're guys that they take bad angles. Um, they cannot even remotely think about tackling a tight end correctly. <laughs> a, a big guy in the open field, it's it's over. Like they just they had nothing for Will Mar- for Will Mallory at times, and that I think is the most frustrating part because I think there's talented guys here, and and I think you you've said it multiple times, and I think you are spot on. Gene Chizik has put these guys in position to make plays. They're there. It's just you're taking bad angles and you're not wrapping up right. Yep. And and so, you know, that's that's part coaching because maybe you're not coaching them right to make tackles. But I, I think yeah. I, I think it's just something where, you know, that's that's who we are. We're a defense that can be put in position to make plays and we're not going to make them. And it, it really it really stinks. No doubt. Because the the problem in the last three years was that Jay Bateman wasn't putting the guys in position to make the plays outside of his first year. Thought his first year he schemed very well and it was just a bad product of we weren't a good defensive team. The last two years that didn't happen. I mean he had moments in twenty twenty. Really once that Wake Forest game happened, that was it. That, yeah, that it, was the downfall right there. You know, this year, um I I, I feel like we're we're in, more, we're in position more often, and the plays aren't being made. Do you want to see more rotation there? Because I'm going to tell you, one of the big reasons why the defensive line I thought had a lot of success the other day was because they rotated guys in. I mean, look, it, you know, there's nothing wrong with keeping your dudes as as fresh as possible. The problem is, is that 
I think we as fans got to be willing to under, uh, to accept that those guys coming off the bench, well, first off, they're not good enough to be starters, and a lot of them are very young. I get it. So there, there's going to be mistakes made. Well, there's mistakes made now. So, I mean, it, <laughs> like, it, def, it definitely can't hurt. Right. But they're the future. So, it, I mean, it doesn't hurt to get them in there. We just have to understand that, what you saw on Saturday is the best case scenario for this defense. I mean, look, you would you would like to see them get a little bit better in terms of pass coverage, and I would hope that some of the other quarterbacks that you're going to play later on down the line that maybe are not nearly as talented arm-wise as we think Tyler Van Dyke is. I, I mean, some people think this is what gets them back on track. I think that this could be a one-off for them um, because I think that Carolina's defense, we've just we've seen that throughout the year. There's been one quarterback that has not had success against Carolina's defense, and that is Grant Wells. And Grant Wells right now is not a good quarterback. Um, Tyler Van Dyke is still a good quarterback. Um, the problem is, is he a great quarterback? Is he the guy that can take Miami to that next level? Um but I, I think, you know, Carolina's still got some guys that they got to play. Look, they're, they're, they're playing a guy in Riley Leonard this week that's extremely talented, man. We've seen it from them throughout this year so far. You still got Brennan Armstrong that's on the, uh, that, that's, left for you to play. Um, Devin Leary's been struggling, but you know that there's times where he's going to play well. And don't even get me started on Carolina's matchup with Sam Hartman later on this year. So, I mean, look, Carolina's – Defensive backs, they, they got to play better. Um, but I, I, I mean, look, you got to hand it to them. They did, you know, make the biggest play of the game. They came down with the interception. Now, granted, it was deflected at the line of scrimmage. So you got to give a lot of credit there. I think it was, was it Ritzy that got a hand on it? I believe that's right. Um, but I'm blanking on, uh, for some reason, who it was that tipped that pass. Um, but Boykins comes down with the uh, clutch interception. And I mean, it's not all bad. I think he's had his moments where he's played well. Like I said, Tony Grimes, I thought, played pretty well again the other day. It's just, you, you, you're you right. Can this unit as a whole play really well together? Because the front seven played well the other day. Front six, I should say. Um, the back five, not as much. So that's an area that they still got to work on. But the other thing for the defense was they did a tremendous job of making the big plays when they had to. Created two turnovers. Uh, They forced the fumble. Great job by Cedric Gray to force that fumble. Giovanni Biggers, who had been struggling to that point uh, in the game, jumps on the loose ball. Big play for Carolina. That was also on a fourth down, and Jalen Knight and the running back easily had the first down. Um, But a great job by the veteran linebacker who was having a tremendous day at that point to strip it. And, uh, of course, the interception late, and then they, of course, hold uh, Miami to two fourth down stops Carolina's defense man they made some huge stands I think you look at the the fumble recovery um as you know probably the biggest but I think one that we will be talking about for a while the rest of this season if Carolina is able to win the ACC Coastal is that stop of Miami on their second offensive drive of the game on the goal line on fourth down yeah, because I, you know, I, they responded to their coach putting them in a bad situation. Now, granted, I let them. I know they let them drive the length of the field, but you know, your your coach makes a bad decision. If if they score, who knows how that game turns out? But they 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 they, they rose up and they made a play, and I think that's going to be the, the biggest thing about them is 
when they have to make those type of plays, can they? This defense did it in 15, mm-hmm. and they did it for the first half of, of 16 before everything kind of just fell apart for those guys. And so that's going to be the, the biggest thing. And they've done it at times this year um, at App State, at Georgia State. Those are average to below average football teams. Miami's an average to below average football team, but at least they're building confidence they can make the plays. But now they, they, they you know they have a stretch of games where they're really gonna find out, you know, where they are. You gotta go to Duke on Saturday. That's not gonna be as easy as we probably thought it was gonna be. You got Pitt at home in, in a little over three weeks. That's probably gonna be, you know, for the coastal for being honest. And that's an offense that has had, you yeah. know, that, that's 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 had its way with our defense. And then, you know, in the month of November, you've got Sam Hartman and Devin Leary, guys that are veteran quarterbacks that regularly beat themselves. So, well, we think Devin Leary. We don't know a hundred percent what's going on with his injury status. I don't think it's broken, but so who knows? You got to prepare as if you are, but that's still a long way off. So it's it, you know, it's it. That's going to be the thing when they when they when they need to make plays. Can they? If 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 they do. This team will probably be in Charlotte. If they don't, we'll probably be looking back saying, what if, because you squandered another season with great quarterback play. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, they, they've – this is three out of four games now that you can – there are things that you can take away that you really like about this defense, th- th- this defense and their performance. The problem is, is that the game that was sandwiched in between uh, the first and third game of that stretch – not so great with Notre Dame. So, um, but but this defense really stepped up and they needed to because Carolina uh, did not have the best version of Drake May in this game. Really, in the second half of this game, he was tremendous in the first half. Threw for 253 yards, going back and forth. Had one of the most in- impressive touchdown passes that you will see. Um, one that people started drawing comparisons to Patrick Mahomes in terms of the type of play that he made. I think that was pretty apt with. The, the throw that he made, just heaving it up. Great play by Josh Downs, too, to make a defender miss and find his way into the end zone. But in the second half, really it started with that final drive of the first half. He throws the interception. Of course, Miami kicks the field goal. And then he throw he, he comes back out and throws an interception in the first drive of the second half as well. He threw for just 56 yards in the second half. Carolina's offense stalled, but you got to hand it to the rest of the team. They rallied around a guy that so far this season has put this team on his back and picked him up when he was struggling. It's the best thing for him is is what happened on Saturday. It's only going to make him better. This was inevitable. There was going to come a game where he didn't play well. And he still played rather well on Saturday, but you know he made a couple mistakes and 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 Miami did a really good job really taking away our passing game I, I thought. But he, he was still the best quarterback on the field. You could argue he was still the best player on the field. And so the, 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 the test of this team, the biggest reason why they haven't really achieved what we've wanted to achieve is that in times of adversity, they've crumbled. And they weren't able to respond. They weren't able to make plays. And that didn't happen on Saturday. With their quarterback having his worst 30 minutes of football, he you know he, he's played at the college level. And so that's... That's the biggest reason to feel encouraged coming out of Saturday is that your team won a game on the road that wasn't a shootout and your quarterback your quarterback made enough plays to where you in a lot of ways you, you probably should have lost the game where he left he left some plays out there and that didn't happen and so that's 
that's that that that's I think that's the biggest difference right now with this team mm-hmm. is that last year this team beat itself and and then right now this team isn't outside of the, what happened in that Notre Dame game which was you know a, a game really of a perfect storm where Notre Dame had needed a win so they put so much into that. Carolina was caught flat-footed coming off a bye. They also are just, I mean, Notre Dame's one of those teams. I will not be sorry to not see them on the schedule. Probably the best team, you know, still one of the best teams in the country. They probably got a number one. I uh, mean, Mac Brown had him number one in his coach's poll. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be the, the biggest thing, you know, is, you know, there, there's going to be games. We talk about it all the time, you know, the, the – the the, the the good teams and then the great teams can win when their best players don't play very well. Yeah. That happened on Saturday. Your best player didn't play very didn't play as well as you 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 thought he was going to and you still won. And look, I thought one of the best things that he did as well was look, he knew he wasn't throwing the ball well and you really didn't need to at the time. That drive that they had from the middle of the fourth quarter into, you know, about four minutes to go was one of the best drives that we've seen from Carolina, taking time off the clock, running the football, and they did it against a worn-down defensive front for Miami. Great job by everybody, but Drake May on that drive, a keeper of 14 yards, 9 yards, 4 yards. And I I thought that was huge. Carolina needed that desperately. Um, because I that they did not have Caleb Hood at that point. Caleb Hood was out of the game. Their leading rusher was out of the game. So that meant that it was up to Amari and Hampton and Drake Bay to step up and make some plays with his feet, and he did, and I, I thought that was, that was big. It was a guy that made an adjustment that knew right now, first of all, we shouldn't be passing because we need to take time off the clock, but second of all, it's not working. They've done a good job in the second half of taking away what we want to do, and look, he looked like a freshman for the first time in this game. The key is, is what does he do moving forward? And I think this is a guy more than capable of bouncing back because we've seen it so far this year. And here's the thing. Even Heisman winners have moments like this. If you think that this has completely eliminated him from the Heisman race, I don't, don't, don't even think like that. This is a guy that is going to be perfectly fine. Um, Mac Brown said today he's a guy that is extremely hard on himself. He, he very hard on himself for, for his performance in this game. And keep in mind that he still threw for 300 yards in this game. So, a, a guy that I think is still having a ton of success, that first half was still outstanding, um, and there is no reason to believe that this is going to carry over. Um, one of the other things that the team had to survive, though, was the decision-making of Mac Brown and his staff. Um, this is really, I think, more about Mac Brown and Sparky Woods than just about anybody else. Maybe you could throw Phil Longo in there. I would assume that as the offensive coordinator, you're pushing uh, for your guys to go for it on fourth down. Look, Carolina 2-3 of three on, on fourth down. One of the more aggressive teams on fourth down all season, and it's worked out pretty well for them. Most of the time, we would not be that angry about this. But Carolina, on the second offensive drive of the game, uh, you know, drove down, scored a long touchdown on the first drive, then they get the ball back after their second stop of the game, or their first stop of the game, excuse me. Carolina drives down the field on the off, on the first offense, uh, the second offensive drive, jeez, uh, and they get it to a fourth and four on the Miami seven, and instead of kicking the field goal that could have put them up by ten at that time, Carolina decides to go for it, it's a throw to Josh Downs, 
Looks like it's a little bit of a miscommunication. It's thrown high and outside, and Carolina turns the ball over on downs. Carolina, of course, went down. They made the stop. We talked about that on the on the defensive stand on the, the second offensive drive for Miami. But that felt like a pretty big moment in the game that I think everyone was kind of thinking about up until just about the final whistle because that would have, first of all, given Miami a chance to tie the game late if they were trusting in their kicker, Andres Borregales. Um, And there were plenty of other moments in that game where you kind of thought to yourself, hey, we could be up by three more points in this game. What did you make of that decision? Because as you know, we were watching this game together. I was not happy with this decision to not only not take the points there to go up two possessions, but to give Miami momentum in a game where they did not have anything going for them at the top. It's irresponsible, and it's 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 honestly it's immature coaching. There are a lot of things that we we think differently about the way football should be played in this new era of offense and analytics and stuff like that. You will never convince me that when you're a team on the road in a game like that, that going up two possessions is a worse idea than staying in a one possession game. Yeah. No doubt you, about you'll, it. You'll never convince me. I don't care what the math says. Because I think, and look, there's a correlation to their fourth down aggressiveness has led to touchdowns on, it's over like 90% of their drives this year. That's probably why you did it. But you also just, just told your defense, hey, we don't trust you because we got to score touchdown, which isn't a bad message. I don't know if that was what it was. But, I think they were literally saying to themselves, hey, no, and th- this is this is what if you're, if you're a defensive player, what else are you thinking if your coach is constantly going forward on fourth down? Uh, that you've got a dude that's overthinking stuff. You uh, got a guy that's listening to Sparky Woods. Who uh, look, man, he's there for a reason. Everybody has one of these guys there to provide. He's spark. literally reading statistics out of a book on whether or not you should go for it. And and I'm going to be honest, sometimes. Look, there is a value to analytics in every sport. We've seen it before. But sometimes you just have to go with your gut. And here's my problem. If you go for it, let's say that Carolina first drive of the game drives down, kicks a field goal. Okay, then I get why you're trying to go for it rather than kicking another field goal. But you could like I like you said, it would have extended the lead to two possessions on the road in a crucial ACC Coastal matchup, a team in Miami that is one of your biggest threats. Yep. That one just, that that left me scratching my head. But And, and so it's it's, uh, it's something I, I will I will never believe. And, and look, I, I've, I've had conservative head coaches coach my professional team, and sometimes it, do, it does come back to bite you in the butt, mm-hmm. but you're never going to tell me that, that the risk of not scoring – is greater than than actually taking the three points, and, and so I think it's something where I, I I've loved the aggressiveness because I've thought in years past they weren't aggressive enough with the talent they had, and the and the and the results are there. I think the biggest issue is that had it gone the way it gone, and Carolina loses the game. Yep. Does he take Does he take the blame for? For, I mean, for you would have had for, to, for right? In game decision. Who else are you going to blame? Like, well, I mean, you're just looking at a guy that whenever his team loses, there's 
there's some built-in excuse, some way to walk around the answer when he's been out coached, out prepared, or whatever. Well, I mean, I think yeah, I no doubt we know how Mac Brown is. He would have given credit to the defense for stepping up and making a play. He would have pointed out that Sparky Woods and the analytics said that they should have gone for it. And I mean, look, man, this is the thing. This is not go after Mac Brown. This is more for me. This is analytics stuff. Because we've seen plenty of, I mean, we talk every week now, we talk about Brandon Staley of the Los Angeles Chargers making some boneheaded move based on analytics. Like, well, that's guys, because coaches are allowing analytics to make their decisions. That's Sometimes you have to trust your gut. Because I'm going to tell you, there are going to be coaches at both levels that will be fired because they used analytics too much. Yeah, there's a reason you know? why they're math geeks. Yeah, like, I mean, like, dude, like, there's like, just sometimes where one possession or numbers, two possessions. But you, coach, but, but you coach football. Here's this is my question: what is what is the analytics on the percentage chances to win when you're up by seven as opposed to up by ten on the road? Can we answer that question? Because I, like I just I don't and don't give me this crap of well you know you could be up by fourteen. Okay, you could have been, but my problem my problem was also the distance. If it's fourth and one. Then go okay. Then you can make an argument. Maybe we could go here. It's fourth and four, man. Like that's you're taking such a huge risk to go for it, and 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 you had a chance to take a stranglehold lead. Now here's the thing: we're not going to be too mad about it because we won the game. But it's concerning because we have seen this at other times too from them. Remember earlier in the year, went for it on fourth down. It was uh, Georgia State. It was Georgia. That's right. It yep. was Georgia State. On your own side. Remember last year in the game against Georgia Tech, they go for it on their on on their own third inside of their own forty. They don't get it, and that gives Georgia Tech pretty much all the momentum that they needed to pull away in that game. I just want to know: Can it's we just, ask Sparky Woods the analytical chances of us finding girlfriends before the end of the year? It ain't good. I'm going to tell you, it's probably less of a percent than the what they went for there. So then just add that to the should, chart. Here's what we should do. Should we try to focus Sparky Woods' attention on our percentage chances to go after a woman when we connect with them? Yes. As opposed to what he's doing on the field. Sparky, whip out, whip out the book and let us know. All right? Um, Would you do me a favor? But look, I will say this. This is, this is the thing for me. They made the right decision when they needed to, and this this is why I hate analytics because I am a time concerned. Out to think about it. I don't. Uh, I I oh, think that no. was nope. I saw the look in Mac Brown's eye. It was like he was at the 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 buffet and he's wanting to know if he wanted to go back for his eighth or ninth plate. Well, that's I mean then, I, I that's my look as well. And then it was like Sally showed up. You could tell Phil Longo had the look in his eye where it's like, dude, just take the damn points. No, uh, oh no, like that it, was not. I I got to tell you, that was not a Phil Longo call. <laughs> Phil Longo looked about as fired up. I think that call probably because he was yelling to take the points. No, I think Phil Longo was telling him, "Let's go for it." I don't think Phil's that dumb. I think Phil really believed in his offense. And he thought that they were. He thought, why not go for it here? Um, to be fair, I mean, the strategy could have been. And again, it doesn't matter which unit you have out there. I think their strategy was run as much time off the clock and then call timeout, and 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 we're going to make our decision. Do I think that they were questioning that on the sidelines? Oh, no doubt about it. I think there were there, there were some people on that sideline thinking that they were going to go for it. Hell, 
from my from my recliner seat, I thought they were going for it. Technically, it was my recliner. That's true, but I I no doubt I thought they were going for it, and they made the right decision. They kicked the field goal there, and you saw in the end why it was the right decision for Carolina to take the points in that situation, and it worked out. It's just that's that's definitely one thing that scares me a little bit about it. But I'm going to tell you, outside of that, I thought again very well coached game. From both sides, uh, from both sides of the ball, um, I thought you know Gene Chizik had a really good defensive game plan. I thought he dialed up a lot more pressure in this game, and I think that's something that he's got to do moving forward. When Jay Bateman's defenses were at their best, it was when they were getting pressure. And I, I again, I know in that second half it did not look great. But when it mattered, I thought Phil Longo did what he had to do. He ran the football, even without his leading rusher in the game. He ran the ball with Amari and Hampton. He ran the ball with Drake May. And they made the plays when they had to. So, again, I think we've given some you know criticism to this coaching staff. I think it's more of the position coaches than anything. But these coordinators have stepped up here, especially these last two games. And they they are they have picked up two key conference wins out of the gate. Um, the running backs, another thing we got to talk about real quick. They stepped up. Caleb Hood uh, looked really good until he got hurt in this game and had to uh, and and did not return. Carolina two drives without him on the field, and you could tell uh, that it w- there was a difference without him out there. Amorian Hampton wasn't great, but he stepped up when he needed to carry the load in that fourth quarter. Um, And I thought the thing that was the best about this run game was, and I said it to you the other day, the thing that Carolina has to start finding is more success on first and second down runs. I thought not second down, but especially first down, Carolina much more successful than they had been in this one. And I thought it it was a big difference for Carolina throughout the day that they were able to comfortably run the ball no matter what. I think this is the benefit to the way that they've they've really utilized that running back room. I feel like we want them to have a set rotation and stuff like that. But I think right now this idea of having a room that you you trust three or four guys when and look obviously it's clear that Petaway's you know his carries have been reduced and stuff like that, but they trust those dudes. And so even whether it's Caleb Hood or Amarian Hampton, you know, even Jones at certain times, no matter what it is, there's a belief in that room that whenever they're in, they're on the field, they're going to make the plays, which makes it a lot harder to, to key on what you're doing whenever a certain back is in the game. Um, so there is diversity in your office when you have all these different guys. And, um, you know, really felt good for Caleb Hood because I think, you know, his biggest issue has been not being able to be, be on the field as much. When he's been on the field, he all he does is make big plays. The dude runs like, you know, runs like a freight train and stuff like that. So um, do they have to get better in the run game? Yes. But I've also said that, like, you know, it's it's really a matter of staying committed to the run and hoping those runs really come up in the in the second half. That happened on Saturday, mm-hmm. just with your quarterback, not not with your running back, but you're still being able to to move those defensive linemen. So, um, you know, I I I think the streak of having a thousand yard rusher is probably going to come to an end this year. But I still think this running game 
is doing what it has to do when it needs to do it, which is what, which is what you want to see. Yeah, and I mean, the production spread out. There's no doubt about it. I think the health of Caleb Hood will be big. And as of right now, I will tell you this. We're going to tell you about four guys that uh, the program talked about today before Mac Brown's press conference uh, that are currently on the injury report. They did not mention Caleb Hood. So hopefully that is good news. Hopefully that means he is out there because he led the Tar Heels in all-purpose yards in this game against Miami. He had 124. So the kid is playing well. It's just can he stay on the field when he's been out there? I mean, we saw it. I mean, talk about Amari and Hampton running with an edge. We've seen that at times this year. Man, Caleb Hood is out there just running people over. And, I mean, he's shown some pretty solid speed as well. That, that was always the thing with him. We, we thought it last year. We said, man, this dude has something. He, he's really been raved about since coming in as an early enrollee, and then he gets banged up. And then again this year, you know, we heard some good things about what he could possibly be in the offseason, but he gets into fall camp and gets hurt. So it's about health for him, uh, and, and I think he's the guy that gives you some encouragement along with, you know, a guy in Amari and Hampton that you're seeing some of those struggles. You're seeing some of those, that, that, that hesitance that you see from freshman running backs. The fact that maybe he isn't as confident hitting the hole as he'll be in a year or two. But I think that ultimately Carolina's run game, they, they've got something to lean on. You know that the quarterback is going to be involved as much as I, I did not think that Drake Bay would be that involved in the running game. Um, now, I mean, he's, he's a guy that if he is not carrying the ball 10, to 12 times a game, if not more, uh, it's pretty shocking. Uh, the last thing, you know, at this point now, Carolina is in the driver's seat for the ACC Coastal. They control their own destiny. They are the only team right now in the ACC Coastal that does not have a loss. Duke, of course, going down the other day to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech actually now second in the ACC Coastal, but Carolina is in a spot that I don't know if many of us thought that they were going to be at any point this year, especially after that Notre Dame game, definitely not this early in the year with teams like Miami and Pittsburgh there. But look, Carolina, they they have put themselves in a position where if they do everything right, they can be the team that can win this Coastal. And I got to tell you, man, we, we've seen this Coastal over the past two weeks primarily. This thing is wide open, and Carolina's got the best offense. That gives them a heck of a chance. Yeah. As I said last week, with the division being this bad, I think that adds to the pressure to, to be in Charlotte. And and I, it's really hard to say that we're ready for that because we haven't proven to be ready for it just yet. I think the best thing that, ha- that they have going for them is they have Drake May. But you're 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 going to play some teams. The more that Drake may put stuff on film, they're going to be able to take some stuff away, and so that's why there's the urgency to get better defensively, to be able to to run the football with your running backs. Because there's going to come times where, if you want to get to the ACC title game, that's what you're going to have to do. And you know, I I think what really stinks is that this division, this this division will be more about. It just fell into their lap as opposed they went and took it because there aren't there aren't there aren't good teams. I uh, mean, if they if they win, I don't I don't really care about that. No, the if you beat every team in the coastal, you went and took the coastal. Because like you know, you're probably looking at a scenario where you go six and two in conference, and your two losses are to Wake Forest and NC State. And so that would lead you to believe you know you're probably what still the fourth or fifth best team in in the ACC overall. Don't that, matter. You're playing in Charlotte. That, so yeah, that's. 
th- that that goes away next year though. And so, it does, so what what do what do we care about that? Though? So it, this it, is this year, and this it, is a team it's that it's not going to be indicative of how good they are. This is fifteen. How good? So let me ask you: How good is this? How good is this team? Do we may, really think that they are they are world beaters? Because anybody that thinks that you're you're playing be, yourself. There may be a top forty team in the country, and I, I got to tell you, if you're playing for a conference championship, I mean that is something that I'm not going to look. I am not saying that they should, like they did when they went to the Orange Bowl, they should get rings or whatever. But hey, man, if you make the ACC championship game, especially with where, I mean, remember that there was a time in the preseason where you, and and there were a lot of other people that looked and said, because we didn't know what Drake May was, dude, is this a bowl team? I got to tell you, if you can get to, and, and at that rate, you're what? If you lose two conference games the rest of the way, you're nine and three, six mm-hmm. and two in conference. I mean, I'd take that. I'd I'm, take that for for this season. I'm like not that's, I'm not taking that's it. That's where I'm at. It's going to be really hard to be upbeat about winning. I mean, look, a, man. A, after about, what we saw last year, I mean, it's a step back in the right direction because I'm going to tell you, from where we were sitting when we were walking out of that stadium after the loss to Notre Dame. And then I saw those comments in the post game. I said to myself, "Man, that I t- and we said it on here. That game against Virginia Tech was one of the biggest games in Carolina history because it determined what the direction of the program. If they lost that game and you had a similar press conference, we would be this would be a whole different podcast. Just 2 weeks later, we're sitting here talking about Carolina as the only undefeated team in the coastal controlling their own destiny. Like, that is, to me, I would take it in a heartbeat if they get to Charlotte. Would I like to see them be competitive there, too, against Clemson? Of course I would. But, at the, I mean, look, I'm not going to say that I'm going out there and next year I'm predicting this team to make the playoff, but I would leave this season saying to myself, hey, at least they're going in the right direction again. At least you've got a quarterback for the future. One year. At least you've got... You know, a defense that, because here's my thing. If they're going to get there, this defense has to be what we saw at least the other day, right? They've got to be average. There is no way in hell that this team is making it there if we see that defense that we saw against App State, against uh, Notre Dame, and at times against Georgia State. I mean, you would think, I just, there's just so many average to below average football teams in our division and you know on our side of the conference that you know you you could still get there winning games like you've won let's go with Georgia State matter for example you're not winning games 63-61 but you you mean you could get there winning games like you did at Georgia State where you probably didn't deserve to win the game and 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 you're winning, and then you're we're going to go into Charlotte and probably get you know skull dragged by three touchdowns or something. So, you know, the best thing they can do is just is just put their head down and go to work. I think the best thing that happens is that they they didn't get ranked. And to be honest, this team shouldn't be ranked until November. If if they're if they're one loss and they beat a Wake Forest team that's still at the time has a healthy record, um, and because it you know because I don't think they're one of the 25 best teams in the country. So it's, I, I got to tell you, I don't think there's 25 even remotely good teams in the country. So I think it's got to so, be, you know, indicative of this staff 
something Matt Brown's harped on. They never really handled success very well. Well, now now you're five and one. You control your own destiny. Games like you got this weekend at Duke are games that you have lost in the past couple of years that really put a thorn in your side of where you wanted to get to. So they have a chance to really right all their wrongs from the last couple of years. But, you know, there's reason to be hesitant because every time they've been in this situation for us to trust them, they've fallen flat on their face. So, look, they're halfway through the season. What would they have to do for you to consider this a good year? They probably have to go 10-2 and and split with State and Wake Forest. I don't think they're better than either of those teams. So if they go nine and three, I, I think yeah, and, I don't and, think and, they're and, better than them right now. I will say this though, and their, I mean, Wake and their Forest, three losses are to the three best teams on their schedule. What's that really say? You, you it would say you, you can't beat good teams. I mean, you're an above average football team. Like that's and and again, I I will take that considering that last year with a roster that we thought was much more talented was much more much better positioned to be able to win and have success, uh, they won six games. That's that's kind of where I would be at. Um, you know, and I, I, I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm the, I guess I'm the eternal optimist, I guess. You're the homer and I'm the realist. But I, I just, I don't, I, I could not see this season as a failure at 9-3. and three. not saying it'd be a failure. I think it would just be over, like the record would look good. But if you're nine and three and your three losses are to the three best teams on your schedule, it's a it's an inflated record. Your schedule would I mean, your record would say you didn't beat good football teams. Yeah, I mean it's but but there's also games on there that I think we did not think that we were going to win. And here's the other thing: it's not Carolina's fault that a team like Pittsburgh is not good. A team like Miami, who everybody, including yourself, thought was going to be back this year. Like it's just next year, baby. They're 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 facing the opponents that are ahead of them. Um, now here's like here's my question. So what? Let's say they lose a game in the coastal. They lose to somebody, but they beat State or Wake Forest, who who are good at the time. Would you consider that a more successful season? They shouldn't lose a single game in the in the coastal side of the division. So it's ten and two, or this is this is not a success. You you you've got to beat a good football team. There's not a good football team in the coastal outside of Carolina today. I, I I get it. I just the only one that I would question would maybe be would maybe be Pittsburgh. I don't want to write them off just yet because I mean Georgia. Look, Georgia Tech two weeks in a row now they have played some inspired football that they had not played beforehand. And I mean, we're we're gonna learn how good Pittsburgh is. I mean, we're gonna learn firsthand how good they are because that that running game. You just had a, a running back that ran for three hundred twenty yards and six touchdowns. Like, I get it. It's against Virginia Tech, but that's pretty good, man. That would be the one team that I would maybe argue with you. Everybody else now, I, I don't I don't see. I mean, you could say whatever you want about Duke, and man, Mike Elko has done some good things there already. And we'll talk more about that team that that Carolina is going to play on Saturday. But yeah, I, I I agree with you. I just at nine and three, I am having a real hard time, especially because aren't you the guy that said multiple times that this is a program that if they finish eight and four, nine and three every year, you would take that in a heartbeat? Not saying I wouldn't take it, but you got to look at it for what it is. You would win nine games. Well, here, okay. So my question: What do you think? I think that is. I think that is a. An outstanding year? Yes. I don't think that's anywhere close to you'll, an You'll heal year. up and, and sell that this is... 
No, I think it would be very, very similar to 2015. It would be a really good year without a really good win. Yep. And But for this program, with where I, I will say it like this. With where they were last year, I don't think there is any way possible. Yeah, but in year four of Mac Brown, if you're nine and three, you should be nine and three with a good win. That's all. That's that's that's. And again, I, I say I say Pittsburgh is that good one. And and that's so. and and that that's that that's what I would say is that, you know, you know, if you split with State and Wake, I'd prefer it be. You know, I'd much rather lose to Wake Forest than NC State. Okay, then you're you're ten and two, and you're seven and one in conference, and then you go to the AC title game and you compete like you did in fifteen. Like let's think about fifteen. They got more validated in losing than they did in winning, because that wasn't believed to be the eighth best team in the country in twenty fifteen. Yep. But the way they played validated that they they were the eighth best team in the country at the time, and and, and so that could be that's why I want the good win this year. Like give me ten and two. With a with a good win, as opposed to eleven and one with no good wins, and then we're leaving Charlotte having played a good game and feeling validated, but we lost. Yeah, and I look, I I, I think there's opportunities with both. They have they have had Wake Forest number over the last two years. That's a team that's not good defensively. They're still not, and uh, I mean NC State, man. There's there's going to be a lot of motivation. Now the problem is there's going to be motivation on that side too. So you're going to have to wait and see. But I think those games are winnable. There's no doubt about that. Um, So we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll talk to you a little bit about uh, the guys that are out injured. Also a a, uh, guy that will be returning for the 2023 season after a season-ending injury. Stick around for that right here on the Heel Tough Blog Podcast back right after this. The NFL action is in full swing at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. We're talking touchdowns, big plays, and even bigger wins. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Check this out. In addition to the usual bets, everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Look, man, I'm a Giants fan, and you know right now, with my team at 3-1 and one, and with the way that Saquon Barkley is playing, I have to get on there and bet on my guy in a contract year where I know, of course, he's going to stay healthy and he's going to get that big contract. We all know how it works. To make things even sweeter, you can throw down on stepped-up same-game parlays once per game day all season long. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TPPN to get $200 in free bets if your team wins when you place a $5 bet on any football game. That's code TPPN. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. There are plenty of ways to find out everything that you need to know about Tar Heel football and basketball. Just go to Facebook, search at Heel Tough Blog, and find the Heel Tough Blog Facebook page and like it. When you do everything, the articles, the podcast, all in one central location on your timeline. Not a big Facebook user? Head over to Twitter, at HeelToughBlog on Twitter. Make sure you give it a follow, and you can follow the personal pages of our talents here at the Heel Tough Blog, at HTB Anthony for Anthony Pagnata, myself, at HTB underscore Josh for Josh Marlowe, and at HackZubber2 for our recruiting analyst, Zach Hubbard. 
Hey guys, welcome back in Heel Tough Blog Podcast. Anthony Pegnata, Josh Marlowe with you. Carolina announced on uh, earlier today on Monday that they will be without two guys for the game against Duke. Not good that both of these guys were declared out this early in the week. Ray Velasic, the defensive tackle, and Don Chapman, the safety, out for this game on Saturday against Duke. Meanwhile, William Barnes and Ra-Ra Dilworth will be monitored throughout the week. As I mentioned, no Caleb Hood on there, which seems like a good sign, but man, I think out of all those, look, I, I, you know now you don't have Voasic, you don't have Chapman, which I'm going to be honest with you, I thought the D-line played better without Ray Voasic up there the other day. I don't know exactly what that says, but I, I think that is definitely noteworthy. Um, so Carolina's prepared for that. Same thing with Don Chapman. They didn't have him this week. It just means a lot of Geo Biggers. Also, the possibility that Jaquarius Conley could be returning. William Barnes is the big one. I think that could be a big, big injury for Carolina. Uh, it would force Jonathan Adorno into the starting lineup. He played, you know, the other day. Wasn't terrible, but wasn't great. So that's something that Carolina has to monitor moving forward. William Barnes has been really, really good there at right guard so far this year. So uh, if they don't have him, that would be uh, a big one. Ra-Ra Dilworth, Carolina really struggle with their linebacker depth in this one. We saw one point where Cedric Gray went down. Carolina uh, was kind of scrambling. They had Malachi Hamrick out there. He played some linebacker snaps. So Carolina's very, very thin there right now. So hopefully Ra-Ra Dilworth will be able to get back on the field for this game. Meanwhile, a guy that was declared out for the season earlier in uh, right before the start of the season, of course, got Im- injured in the second scrimmage of fall camp. British Brooks did announce that he will return for the 2023 season, a guy that has been one of the team captains uh, for each of the last three years, um, was set to be a big part of Carolina's backfield this year, um, but did, of course, go down with that lower body injury. And so now uh, he is going to attempt to uh, come back for the 2023 season. He did have an extra year of eligibility, so it will be year seven of British Brooks in Chapel Hill. So that wraps it up for this edition of the podcast. Hey guys, head over to the website, HeelToughBlog.com. Make sure you're checking out all the stuff that we got going on over there. Uh, In terms of uh, football side of things, we've got you covered on this game uh, that just wrapped up for Carolina and the win over Miami. And then we'll be carrying you throughout the week into the game against Duke. Our normal stuff will be up there. The trench report, the uh, Ashton's analysis will be up there the press conference, and then I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to move the stock report into the middle of the week, kind of sandwich that in on a Wednesday uh, to kind of give you guys a little bit of a transition over from the previous game into that next game, and then we'll, of course, do the preview and everything like that. I did it last week. It seemed like you guys really liked that, so I think we're going to do that again this week. Meanwhile, on the basketball side of things, guys, it is right around the corner. What is it, 28 days as of today until Carolina gets underway? Uh, the excitement is palpable. Carolina just finished up live action with Carolina basketball the other night. I uh, got, got, got a taste of what this team is going to look like, uh, minus a couple of players, but uh, you know, we talk about that on the uh, latest edition of the Four Corners podcast. Plug that for you guys. Make sure you check that out wherever you listen to your podcast. 
Uh, so we'll be talking about that uh, leading up to the season as Carolina gets prepared uh, for one of the most hyped-up seasons in uh, a few years. Uh, so that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. So that's going to wrap it up for this edition of the podcast. want to thank Josh for hosting with me. want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Hey guys, Anthony here. We want to thank you guys for listening to this edition of the Heel Tough Blog Podcast. If you could, make sure you head over to wherever you listen to your podcast, find out where you can rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, and go ahead and do that for us. The rating and reviewing, that helps us to move up some of those rankings, and the subscribing, that is for you, so you don't miss any editions of the podcast coming up. We look forward to you being a part of the Heel Tough Blog podcast family moving forward, and thank you once again for listening to this edition.